You took the signs out of the window? That's pretty presumptuous. How do you know I'm gonna hire you? Sorry, I just want to be a broom boy so bad. I like your attitude. You're hired. How about you, Missy? You want to be a mop girl? Not really, no. I like your honesty. You're hired. And you two haven't said a word. I like that. You're hired. Woohoo! Hey, keep it down. Woo! Welcome to Talking Giants. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, coming to you with my co-host, Justin Panic. The Giants are making some moves. They got a defensive coordinator, a D-line coach, a QB coach, making some moves on the come up. Justin, though, how are you doing after your first week on the show Talking Giants and after a full week with Joe Judge as our head coach? Bobby Skinner, uh, last week I feel like was an insanely crazy week to join the show. It was also just an insanely crazy time to be a Giants fan with all the disputes that were going on and this, you know, the, go, watching these playoff games as well. Uh, I overall, I, I do want to take just a just a few moments to to thank everybody to for, preach about debate uh, analytics. To, I I do want to preach about analytics. I want to. I'm here to say <laughs> that defense does not matter. And that passing is king and running the ball is not is serves zero purpose in today's NFL. I'm obviously being sarcastic. Please do not kill me. Um, but really, I do I do want to thank everybody for what has been a, an awesome first week at Talking Giants. Uh, it's our goal to build a community. Uh, part of building a community is having some diverse voices and having some uh, some nice uh, some nice in depth conversations about the game of football. Uh, and this is this is kind of just the start of it. It was a crazy week last week. A ton of uh, information that I feel like Bobby and I had to evaluate. Where we didn't we didn't really know much about Joe Judge. I think we did a pretty good job of it. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the support and the transition. Yeah. I know I'm an acquired taste, uh, but I'm also well, a. Why don't you thank your parents? You thank all the haters for motivating you. Yeah, thank, uh. thank. I, I want to thank my mom because she also bugged me last week about how I was taking an online class, and she's like, "Oh, maybe talking giants should wait." And I'm like, "No, mom, that is not the appropriate thing to say at this time." So I want to thank her for supporting me in this new business endeavor that I'm embarking on. So thank you, mom. <laughs> all right, so let's get right into it. The Giants hired some coaches. And let's start at the top. Oh, by the way, we have interviews coming later in the show. Boom. You can see that from the title. The, the Giants hire some coaches. Let's start at the top. Defensive coordinator, a very important position. Patrick Graham. He was the Miami Dolphins defensive coordinator last year with Brian Flores. He was with the Patriots from 2010 to 2015 as a linebacker and D-line coach. That's obviously where the Joe Judge connection comes into play. And then he was with us as our D-line coach in 16 and 17. The Packers in 2018 as a, as a linebacker and run game coordinator. And then obviously last year with the Dolphins. A very interesting guy. Uh, it's hard to project what he's going to do with this football team because the thing that Joe Judge was preaching is not fitting round pegs in the square holes or, or vice versa. So, I mean, what are your initial thoughts on this guy, Justin? I mean, my initial thoughts on Patrick Graham are really he's probably even a bigger wait and see higher than Joe Judge's, Bobby, simply because of the fact that you look at the talent that he was working with in Miami himself last year. Uh, yeesh, uh, really, really, it's a bit it's a big time. Yikes. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter really overreacted to the fact that you simply just put statistics out. You simply just put where the Dolphins <laughs> ranked <laughs> defensive rankings last year, and people lost their minds like you were like you're saying that Patrick Graham is the most terrible hire of all time. And then I think you had to clarify, Bobby. Uh, numbers do not mean me tweeting out numbers simply do not mean that I am having any take at all. It's just providing context. But that's kind of why you have to <laughs> that Patrick Graham isn't even a bigger wait and see hire than Joe Judge because number one, we don't know a ton about him. That's why we have an interview coming to you later this show. And also, 
the Giants still have so much moves to make this offseason. They haven't made any moves this offseason in terms of improving their talent on the defensive side of the ball as well. So really, my overall impressions, wait and see. Personality-wise, uh, I would say Patrick Graham is my spirit animal because he had a quote that said, I'm loud because I'm fat and, and I'm big. And fun fact, Bobby, that is the title of my autobiography. We should put that in the Talking Giants bio, honestly. Um, we're loud because we're fat and big. But yeah, <laughs> now, I can't sit here and say I'm excited about Patrick Graham. Now, there's things that I can get excited about, but I'm not excited. Like, And you know what? I will let the numbers come into play a little bit. I mean, they were 32nd in points, 30th in yards, um, 26th against the pass, 27th against the rush, 31st in penalty yards, 32nd in sacks. And when I looked at the scheme, it was actually kind of similar to James Betcher. But what the ho- the hope to hold out is like okay that you know Brian Flores had his his imprint on it although it's not like it's not like he just completely disagreed with Brian Flores and they just were at, at were butting heads all the time but I get they were completely stripped with talent the Dolphins set a record for how many players they use I mean when they played us they were at eighty players and I think they used more in, in the last two weeks so I don't want to like use that against him but I'm also not going to just completely ignore it either like I, I get that they overachieved they're a team that won five games with. You know, that was actively tanking. But he was the defensive coordinator. He was calling plays for a very bad defense. And like I said, that doesn't mean he's a bad coach, but it certainly doesn't mean he's a good coach either. That's what That was my point. It's like these numbers don't get you excited at all. I want to bring in uh, Anthony Tomano's uh, tweet in. Uh, go follow Anthony Tomano at AnthonyNYGiant. He's a part of the Talking Giants team, if you didn't know. He put out a tweet after, after Patrick Graham was hired, and I really – really want to read it, and I really kind of want to break it down a little bit. Um, He said, if you thought Joe Judge was wait and see, then you definitely have to wait for Graham. Experienced coordinators used to success typically drive scheme with great players already primed. Inexperienced coordinators used to teaching players at position groups, they drive fundamentals first. So I think that's honestly a great point where you have Patrick Graham, who is not going to be a proven coordinator like a Rex Ryan, like a Greg Williams, where their scheme is going to come first. Much like Joe Judge has been preaching this entire, you know, his introductory press conference and why I feel like the Giants were were uh, in full bloom love with him is the fact that they are going to adjust their coaching and their scheming to the strengths of their players. So, Bobby, what do you think about that point? It's a good point to say, you know, he doesn't have a scheme and that's an upside of Joe Judge. It's like he's not coming in here with his agenda. Like he has his agenda, but it's not like I run a West Coast offense, and I don't care what my personnel is, we're running the West Coast offense. Uh, so that that's a good point. Uh, I will say, though, um, and we talked about this in our interview that's uh, that's coming up with Simon Clancy, Minka Fitzpatrick. Now, remember after week one when Minka Fitzpatrick asked for a trade and every NFL team or NFL fan base said, oh, we got to trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. And the Steelers ended up doing Well, I went and watched some Minka Fitzpatrick tape. And against the Ravens, and we talked about this, that they were trying to make him like their hybrid player all over the all over the field, where Minka just wanted to play free safety or corner, and they had him playing in the as a box safety, which I get. You're playing the Ravens, so your de- your defensive uh, like scheme is going to be a little different. But man, I went and watched him last year in 2018 against the Vikings, where he was covering Thielen and Diggs both in man coverage. He was shutting these guys down. Like he had an amazing game as a cornerback. So. I didn't like that. I get that there's an explanation. They're trying to use him all over the field. But a guy with that kind of talent, like I, I don't I don't like using him as a box safety. And the fact that the Dolphins defense didn't improve like throughout the season really. Like the first 
In fact, the second half of the season, they get more points per game. Now, they added, they had eight more turnovers. They had 12 compared to uh, four compared to the first eight games. Um, so that's some good stuff. And I went through the Giants family, and there's, there's some cool things in there. Uh, but yeah, he, he can't do, he can't just go, come out and just run some bland scheme. He's got to try and get all these players to fit in the right way. That means Alec Ogletree and Antoine Bethea not being the heart of a cover two. That Oof. means. Um, not playing DeAndre Baker 12 yards off the line of scrimmage on third and eight, like stuff like that. So that's that will be what is exciting. And you know what? Like like we said, it was a horrible team, and at least they got something out of them. And Bobby, you made the point on Twitter how Graham was running a lot of single high safety looks. I really do think that coincides with this Giants belief, Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman belief, that the first and foremost thing that you have to do as a defense is you have to stop the run. Yeah, and that's something I noticed. And I only watched the Giants game so far. And he never had uh, less guys in the box than the Giants had blockers. So if the Giants had a tight end and a fullback, they had seven or eight guys in the box. They had, you know, their three or four front and a safety brought in. So they always had more guys in the box. It was a lot of high safety, which James Betcher did. The difference is is James Betcher put Antoine Bethea at the high safety, which was a horrible role. So it was, like when I moaned about that and the – in the regular season, it was like, oh, why are we running a high safety? It was, why are we putting a 35, whatever, however old Antoine Bethea is at a high safety? I would have been fine with like a Julian Love back there. But the bet on this guy is that he adjusts whatever he needs to do into who his football players are. And that's what everyone's going to say, at least to start, you know? <laughs> um, and the reason he was able to make a lateral move, Justin, and we found this out literally right after our interview, like literally right after. The guy sends me a message and says, oh, oh I, uh, that answer, that question where I didn't have an answer for it, I have an answer for it now. Uh, Simon Clancy, he's like, no, he's, he's going to be the assistant coach, so that's why he was able to make the, uh, the lateral move. So there that answers some questions because we're like, why isn't he doing that? Uh, now, the 3-4-4-3. Three, four, four, three. Now, we all, all understand that you run most of the game out of nickel, but your base defense does matter. I expect with the Giants personnel and with what he did in Miami – That'll be a three-four a three, base defense. When you look up and down the Giants roster, it would make more sense for them. And now, this is my opinion. I could be wrong, and I have been and I have been persuaded to believe that a three-four is the right move. But there's still a part of me that does see, that does see all these all these interior defense alignment on this Giants roster, and it's like, you know, what what if we went back to a four-three? But overall, in today's National Football League, where you're in a passing league, a three-four does allow you to be more versatile. It does allow you to do more things in terms of mixing up your blitz packages and blitz and mixing up your you know your your zone coverages and whatnot. So uh, I. I'm absolutely 100% fine with sticking with the 3-4. Uh, it, just, it really just comes it comes down to, Bobby, can we surround Patrick Graham with the right guys this offseason when it comes to our offseason acquisitions, free agents, and our draft picks? Yeah. So, like I said, there, it's hard to really get into scheme when supposedly he's not going to run the same exact scheme with the Giants. So get excited about that Joe Judge likes him. I think that is like what people are selling him on. It's like, well, Joe Judge likes him. I like him. Um, and he's a character. He's a, he's a He seems like he'd be a funny guy to be around. Now, the Giants hired another Miami Dolphins coach, making essentially a lateral move. QB coach Jerry Shuplensky. I hope I'm saying that right. I practiced that. Jerry Shuplensky. Jerry was the assistant QB coach with the Dolphins last year, but he was essentially the QB coach because Jim Caldwell took a medical leave of absence, and so he was put into that QB coach role. 
Um, from 2000 to 2015, he was a Patriots offense assistant. Uh, from 16 to 18, he was a Patriots assistant QB coach, you know, the same position, and then he came with Brian Flores over there. Now, there's not a whole lot of X's and O's to go on with this guy, but what we can go off is, is that guys that he's coached have spoken pretty highly of him. Yeah, and that, and that basically includes uh, Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo. He is also better known as in San Francisco right now. And also uh, Jacoby Brissett of the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Bobby, I've been one to preach. I'm pretty sure I might have even preached on this podcast uh, when I was on over the summer. I'm one to preach that quarterbacks, especially quarterbacks on their rookie deals, they need to play. They need to play. I think on-field experience and in-game action is king over the mental reps and the mental repetitions. So the fact that the New England Patriots and Jerry Shuplinski was ultimately a part of that process, the fact that they were able to groom these quarterbacks while sitting behind Tom Brady and then they have gone to other teams and have, you know, Jimmy G's had a lot of success and he's about to play in an NFC championship game and pretty much pretty much his first full season as a 49ers quarterback because he was hurt last year. And then obviously the unforeseen circumstances in Indianapolis and the fact that who thought you know Brissett would compete as much as he did this year for the AFC South title. So that's pre- that's been pretty fun to watch those two those two guys uh those two guys work when they're out of New England. I will say about Jacoby Brissett, and this is something I have told my good friend Zach Holton, who I use someone on radio with, and he's a Colts fan. Jacoby Brissett to me is just black Blake Bortles. Thoughts. He really is. <laughs> he runs way too often, even though he's not that athletic. Um, his balls don't look like have a lot of zip on them. Ooh, that's really that's a good drop. As well. That's a uh, good drop. No, it's not. Do not do mm. it. There, it's on Skype though, so it can't be that. It can't be a good enough quality to be a drop. That's true. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, thoughts? Do you think Jacoby Brissett is just a black Blake Bortles? You know, I will be honest. I, I I don't typically watch my Indianapolis Colts and my Jacksonville Jaguars week to week, but something has to be said for, for the for the fact that you know you, you put your team in a in a great position to win week after week after week. And the fact that the Colts have performed as well as they did with the unforeseen circumstances, that is their quarterback retiring, you know, however many weeks before the season actually started, something does have to be said for that. Where I really do think the fact that Blake Bortles was basically run out of run out of a starting job in Jacksonville with a very talented roster and a very ta- and a very good circumstance over there as well. I think something does have to be said for that. I mean, I'm proud of Black Blake Bortles. Anyways, uh, yeah, those guys spoke highly of him. A lot of Dolphins fans, because uh, the, a lot of people thought uh, uh, Jerry Shuplinski was going to be the Dolphins' offensive coordinator. Like Dolphins fans are kind of like losing it. They're like, why are, are we letting all these coaches go to the Giants? Now, we also know like fan reaction isn't always the best like way to gauge something, but it is like you know we talked about it in the interview that like what's going on? Like why are we just letting all of our coaches leave to the Giants? And the fact that uh, Dolphins are going to be trading uh, with the Giants for uh, they're going to be trading up. We're going to be getting extra first round draft picks because they want to take Tua. Uh, that's somebody that uh, that they've lost that uh, that cannot develop Tua. So they're going to be looking for somebody who's going to develop the next of kin at quarterback in Miami. Yeah. Um, and I, I was listening to some Jerry Shuplinski interviews. They really didn't like Josh Rosen in Miami. I mean, they would not say anything good about him. They, they refused to say anything good about this guy in the interview. They'd say nice things about Ryan Fitzpatrick but they wouldn't say anything nice about Rosen like they can't stand Rosen and I was a Rosen guy like I was on the Rosen bandwagon I was like well you should just trade for him if they're gonna let him go for a second round pick Josh Rosen will know without a doubt 
always have my heart. Yeah, I had my doubts on Rosen, but like I think he has all the physical tools to be a really good quarterback. I don't know what's going on where he's not putting the work. But yeah, I mean, it's impossible to find someone on that Miami staff to say something nice about Josh Rosen. All right, Giants hire Ole Miss defensive line coach Freddie Roach. He has a very long resume. He actually uh, coached with uh, Joe Judge at Alabama from 2009 to 2010, where he was the assistant uh, uh, strength and conditioning coach, where uh, our guy Joe Judge was the special teams assistant. So let's go through his year. 2008-2010, Alabama assistant strength and conditioning coach. That's where the Joe Judge uh, connection comes in. 2011, East Mississippi Community College D-line coach, blah, blah, blah. 2012, Murray State D-line coach. 2014, South Alabama defensive end, outside linebacker coach. Then back in Alabama for, uh, for two years as the director of player development, which is kind of a weirder role. And then the last three years as the Ole Miss D-line coach. Now, we talk about this in our interview, but this guy, like, they really like him. He seems to be an energetic guy, an attention to detail guy. Like, when you think of what Joe Judge described in his press conference, from everything that we've seen from Freddie Roach, he seems to be that. Intensity. I feel like intensity is a word that you can describe Joe Judge as, and then you know, Freddie Roach is also the same is can also be described almost in the same way based off of the 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 clips that we've seen today, and also uh, an interesting aspect of Freddie Roach about his time his time in Alabama he was like uh, he was really associated with and connected with the players off field life I think he was like the uh, director of player personnel or player development excuse me so. You see him. You see that clip that we posted on Talking Giants. Today. We post on Talking Giants Instagram. Posted on Talking Giants, uh, and then Bobby Skinner's own Twitter page as well. Where you see him, he was doing push-ups with the guys. He had better, he had better form of his push-ups than half the players that he was doing push-ups with. And I have this vision. I have this uh, fantasy that during training camp, Bobby, what we're going to see is Freddie Roach, Joe Judge. They're going to be lining up in Oklahoma's, and the two guys that I think they're going to be lining up against is I'm seeing right now Evan Ingram in my brain and Wayne Gallman. Those two guys going head to head. That would be like picking on win. someone because they would they would win those battles, Justin. That's <laughs> that's bullying, honestly. Um, and I don't think Wayne Gallman's gonna be on this roster next year. To be honest, hot take. Evan, get, Evan get Ingram early might, on. No, Evan Ingram might not be either. Yeah, but I was all prepped to talk Evan Ingram, and we're just moving back to tight end episode. It's yeah. gonna be the most anticipated episode about tight ends. Will be us because we just keep on putting it back. All right, so like you said, energetic. Attention to detail, that little video I put out of them going through individual drills, going with the same guy four times without cussing him out. That was pretty cool. Um, a lot of personality thinks he'll get along with players. He's developed guys at Ole Miss. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, this guy really knows how to develop D-line because I don't know that. But from whatever – all I see from him, I say out of the three so far, he's the one with lim- limited information that I'm like, okay, I really like this hire. I would tend I would tend to agree because it's it's the common thread that is putting together this coaching staff. It's an intensity. There's an attention to detail, and there's really I would say, for what we can actually pull from how Joe Judge is organizing this staff, he's organizing the staff with consistency and with a consistent message throughout its all of its coaches. All right. All right. So let's move on. The Giants have retained. Special teams coordinator Thomas McGahee and wide receiver coach Tyke Tolbert. Uh, the Giants were really good on special teams this year. In fact, they were ranked higher than the Patriots and Joe Judge uh, this year in, in most categories. So that was a, a good one to bring back. I'm not going to pretend to be a special teams expert uh, like that. And then Tyke Tolbert, I mean, what we saw out of Darius Slayton, um, I, I get why he's brought back. I, I wasn't like crazy for keeping Tyke, 
but I, I, I get that, and I'm not bothered by it at all. Yeah, especially if you consider the fact that you were playing with a rookie quarterback. I, I just put out a clip on Twitter on Monday night about how Daniel Jones missed, missed some guys open down the field during that Washington game, despite him throwing for 350 yards and five, and five touchdowns. We've seen that periodically throughout the season, that where Jones has missed guys down down deep down the field, and that's and that's fine. Every quarterback is going to miss guys deep down the field. But I, I would even look to Sterling Shepard. His concussions really did derail his season. He would have had his best season as a pro this year if it weren't for those concussions. His consistent ability to find space, his consistent ability to be a reliable uh, pass catcher for Daniel Jones. Uh, and obviously, you know, when you take a, a low draft talent like Darius Slayton and you turn him into some people are saying that he has number one wide receiver potential in his career. When you're able to do that as a wide receiver coach, when you trade away the, the offseason after you trade away one of the best wide receivers in the league, I think he, you deserve to get some credit for that. Yeah, so, I mean, those are two hires we can get behind. All right, Justin, you got anything final on these guys before we move off to our interviews? No, uh, these interviews were a lot of fun. Uh, I I really do think that what Bobby and I, you know, we're doing, we're we're trying, we're trying to fish for things to talk about with guys that we don't really know that much about. And to to be fair, uh, nobody in Giants Land really knows that much about these guys. But we did the we, we know did, the most though. Let's be honest. We do we well we try our hardest and we do our best and that's all anyone can do in life. But also we did the work and we brought on guys that actually know what the heck is going on. So Bobby. Why don't we kick it away? All right. So first, we're gonna do Ben uh, Ben Garrett. He covers Ole Miss, so he knows he knows he knew Freddie uh, pretty well. Freddie Roach. He covers Ole Miss for twenty four seven Sports. We got a good relationship with some of those twenty four seven Sports guys. And then after that, it'll go straight to Simon Clancy of Sports Illustrated and Gridiron Magazine. He covers the Dolphins. That one was a little more in depth. These two guys' personalities and voices are exact opposites, Justin. Oh, totally. Totally. We got one guy who I believe is from uh, Great Britain, and then we got another guy who's Southern. I mean, he's totally laid back. It was – it's quite the time. It was quite the time to interview him, but it's also quite the dramatic uh, two tales of listening if you're if you're going to be listening to this one. All right. Let's kick it to him. Here you go. First, we have Ben Garrett. Come on. Pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa! Ah. All right, we now welcome on Ben Garrett. He covers Ole Miss for the Ole Miss Spirit affiliation with 24-7 Sports uh, with our, our friends Dan Snyder and Kevin Boylard, who will work with them. Both guys have been on the show. Uh, we're bringing Ben on, though, because the Giants hired Ole Miss D-line coach Freddie Roach as their D-line coach. So I want to just get a few questions because it's, it's kind of hard to find some real information on these guys. Ben, first of all, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be on. Uh, Freddie's good people, so I'm happy to see him laying in a good spot. And unfortunately, being a Cowboys fan, he's with the Giants, but it's all good. You know, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about, you know, him growing guys from the NFL prospects. And and one of the things that Joe Judge had emphasized in his opening press conference was bringing in teachers. So has, like, Freddie taken guys that weren't starters from day one and, and turned, like, some guys on that D-line into NFL prospects or, like, How's he handled that group as far as developing them? Uh, well, one thing about Freddie is he brings a constant energy every single day, and the demands he has for his defensive linemen are quite simple. Um, he wants them to bring the same energy with everything they do, be it um, hitting pads. And they, he likes to be physical in his practices and in his individual drills, um, and that's the demand he has. And 
I think one thing that really impressed me with Freddie as he led Ole Miss's defensive line group for the last couple of years is taking a guy like Benito Jones, who had untapped um, production and getting it out of him. Benito was really a dominant defensive lineman for Ole Miss last year. Granted, Ole Miss was not a particularly good football team, 4-8 and eight in the last year of Matt Luke, but Benito was one of the few bright spots, and he really dominated as a nose tackle when they switched to a 3-4 under Mike McIntyre, who's a tenured college and NFL um, defensive coordinator, defensive coach, coached under Bill Parcells for the Dallas Cowboys, and for Freddie, who's coached predominantly under a 4-3, to make that switch and to get that kind of production I thought was impressive. And um, when Kadir Shepard, who's an NFL prospect, could actually stay on the field, um, he really took him um, from being a pure pass-rushing specialist um, to a guy who could also play the run and set the edge. And I thought that was um, a true credit to Freddie Roach as well. So Freddie um, really has grown into his position um, as a coach of a defensive line. You know, he's a former linebacker, and um, you expected him to be a coaching a, a linebackers in college and then on to the NFL. But he's really coming to his own as a defensive line coach, and um, I think it's a really good fit. Obviously, he and Joe Judge go back a long ways, and um, it gives him stability something he didn't quite necessarily have under Lane Kiffin, um, and also a good landing spot to continue and grow his career. And uh, I think he's going to be a really good fit there. Ben Garrett from Ole Miss Spirit joining us. Ben, I want to thank you for joining us again. Now, unlike Bobby, uh, something I am particularly curious about when I look at both players and coaches is, is what their personality is like. We've seen some information come out today on Giants Twitter about Freddie Roach being the former Alabama director of player development, where he had an integral role with developing players off the field and their off-field life. Uh, we've also seen some footage from practice uh, about how intense he is. He does push-ups with the players, and frankly, in my opinion, he has better form than they do. So is there anything you could tell us about his personality and coaching style that may make him more unique than some of the other guys that you've covered or some of the other average, uh, average coaches out there? Oh, well, Freddie's a chameleon, man. I mean, he's a dynamic personality. You put him in any social setting, he's going to immediately bend in and everybody's going to gravitate towards him and love him. Um, I had a great working relationship with Freddie. All of his players did, too. Um, But he can handle any room. He can handle any personnel grouping. He can handle adults, kids, uh, developing talents, tenure talents, uh, veterans, coaches. I mean, hell, if you ever quit football, he'd go be a politician. He's just that good in a room and He's a guy that you want to send out to speak to alumni groups or in the NFL, you know, just any type of huge fan support groups and trying to raise money for that premium seating. I mean, Freddie's a guy you want to go out there and talk because Freddie's just a good face of the program and somebody that embraces that and um, great in the community and really endeared himself to Ole Miss fans here. Um, and I think the pro style fits him better than maybe college did. I mean, he's a good recruiter, but um, had some misses. And I, I just think focusing strictly on developing passers i mean pass rushers and um nose guards and uh d tackles i mean i just think it suits him perfectly because he's ready for, for the professional game he's a professional through and through and i just think personality wise uh he blends with everybody and you're right the push-ups with the players that's something he did um and, and he really just wants to get in there with them i mean he wants them to feel like uh, he's a part of what they do every single day that he's not just demanding it out of you and not willing to put in the work himself and um, Freddie's just that kind of guy. Um, he, he's got a former player personality to him to where he knows what they've been through. He can relate. Um, he knows the demands of the position and the demands of the day to day. And, uh, he wants to go through those trials and tribulations with them. So, uh, I expect that to 
play well with adults now that he's not dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds anymore. He can go into a room with adults and still carry that same energy, that same enthusiasm, and um, everybody in that room will like him. Yeah, so you mentioned him now working with adults, and I, you know, I looked up a YouTube clip, and I know things can be kind of put on for the cameras a little bit, but he was going through a D-line drill, and he was talking about a guy opening up his hips, and he went over it four times, like, nope, you did it wrong, you did it wrong. But And I've been a part of those drills where – like, you do it wrong, and they make you do it four times in a row, but you're usually getting cursed out, which he wasn't doing that, you know. Now, I get it, things are different with the camera on, but is that something that, like, can be regularly expected with him, that he's just yeah, going to get that attention to detail? He's never going to be a guy that's just going to dog cuss dudes and um, basically just get on their asses like that constantly. It's just not who he is. Um, he's a guy that, yeah, he's going to demand that you do it right, and you're going to sit there and do it until you do it right. I mean, it was just basic drills, man. I mean, you put him on a – sled his players on a sled and if they're not doing it the way he wants them to he'll make them do it again and again and again until he gets it right so yeah there is that demand but uh dog cussing or or being one of those kind of coaches this is not a style and um yeah of course there's a little bit put on by the camera but i'm telling you i mean freddie's the same on a football field as he is at a bar as he is um an alumni gathering or whatever i mean he's just a consistent person there was never a time when you wondered which freddie roach you're getting today he was the same freddie roach every single day so yeah, there might be a little bit of that put on for the camera, but I don't really think it's that way with Freddie. It's just that's not the kind of guy he is. Straightforward guy, and he just he, he likes coaching football and likes getting the best out of guys, and he has a high demand for those guys, but um, he's going to be consistent every single day. Right, and with Joe Judge and his attention to detail, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to read too much into a few YouTube clips, but you could definitely see, like, okay, this guy's got an attention to detail. He brings the energy every day. You see why Joe Judge, who, you know, that's the things he emphasized in this presser, brought up. Justin, do you have yeah. a final question? I guess my final question is, uh, can we envision a Freddie Roach and Joe Judge actually getting together and doing some Oklahoma drills with some of these Giants, uh, Giants offensive and defensive, uh, defensive line groups? Because I really, I really can see it. The intensity is oozing off of these guys. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to strap on pads and get in there and actually do it, especially with adults, because I don't think Freddie wants to get humbled too quick. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he'll get in the weight room with them. I mean, Freddie could throw up weight just as well as anybody out there, and he can play golf with the best of them too. So, um, he'll get out there and he'll mix it up with the players to a point. But I, I think that's the kind of intensity that Joe wants in his, in his organizational, from an organizational standpoint. He wants to bring guys in that demand respect from their players, but they also know that these guys have been through it. And um, there's a mutual respect there that everyone kind of adheres to. And that's what Freddie will do. And I, I just think it's a great move for Freddie. He's ready for the program, uh, for the pro game. He's ready to make that step. Um, he's kind of been building to this for a long time. He's coached under Saban. He's coached with Joe Judge. He's coached with um, a Mike McIntyre, who's one of the most well-respected college and NFL coaches you'll ever – you'll never have anybody say anything bad about Mike McIntyre. And I just think Freddie's been ready to get to this point. And he had a number of NFL options. Don't get it twisted. It wasn't just the Giants that had him offered. I mean, I heard last week that a few, I think a three at least, NFL teams had um, made contact with Freddie. Um, so the Giants did well to get him because he was in demand, and um, I think it's a good fit. And I think that the pro game will be even better for Freddie than the college game. He did a pretty dang good job in college for sure. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. Now, I, ha I got to let you go on this one. Now, the Mississippi State, we know that that rivalry is big. Now, they were close to getting Joe Judge. They bring in Mike Leach. Mm -hmm. which, which one are, would you have been more worried about, Leach or Judge? Joe Judge, and I love Mike Leach. I always thought that if Mike Leach did make the leap to the SEC, which he wanted to do and has wanted to do for quite some time, that it'd be at Ole Miss because Ole Miss is 
kind of like the Texas Tech of the SEC, but uh, Mississippi State is a strange fit. And at this point, Mike Leach kind of is what he is. Joe Judge, there's so much upside there um, and untapped uh, potential that we've yet to see. He's like a lottery ticket compared to a Mike Leach, which is very safe at this point in his career. So I would have been more concerned with Joe Judge. I just think that he's dynamic in that respect, and we just don't know quite what he is. And I'd much prefer to buy lottery tickets than a safe bet. But I still think it was a good hire for Mississippi State, especially considering the timetable in which they made the hire. Um, but, yeah, I definitely would have been more worried about Joe Judge. Though I think, think Mike Leach will be uh, a lot of fun at Mississippi State. And for the first time since 2014, uh, Mississippi college football is across the board interesting nationally, nationally <laughs> relevant with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. People are going to be paying attention to the state, and it's good for the state. And I'm happy that both schools got guys that are getting national eyeballs back to the state because um, this is a hell of a place to play football. Yeah, you can imagine, you know, obviously – SEC football is always big, but Mississippi getting Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach just made made it that much bigger. I mean, you can't. And you look, y'all just, had, y'all just had duo. one of the greatest, and y'all just had one of the greatest Ole Miss Rebels win you two Super Bowls and win two two Super Bowl MVPs. You got Evan Ingram up there; he's one of the best dudes in the world. So, yes, sir. Uh, I mean, Mississippi's been good for the New York Giants, and the New York Giants have been good for Mississippi. And it's cool that Freddie's continuing that pipeline from Ole Miss to uh, the New York Giants. It's a really cool thing. All right, well, Ben, we appreciate it. If anybody wants to go check out his stuff, it's at Spirit Ben on Twitter, covering Ole Miss. So you know there'll be some draft prospects coming out of there. Ben, we appreciate you coming on and giving us some of your time. Thank yeah, you, guys, ben. no problem. Appreciate it, guys. A player on the Giants touched my butt. All right, we welcome on to the program. He's a lead feature writer for Gridiron Magazine. He contributes to Sports Illustrated, covering the Dolphins. Simon Clancy. Simon, we appreciate you coming on, especially on such short notice. Okay, no worries, boys. Uh, really, really happy to be here. We, we appreciate it as well. So I want to just jump right into it. I don't want to waste any time. The Giants obviously got the, the Dolphins defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, and their QB coach. Uh, this, we want to start with Graham. Now, the question has been within the Giants world is, uh, because Graham did call plays, but obviously Flores is a defensive guy coming from New England. I mean, what what was the power structure between those two? Was it like all four as a scheme? Like, what were what was Graham's like paw prints on on the scheme? Uh, I mean, I think it was pretty. It, it was a pretty sort of fifty fifty split. There was uh, a fair amount of input from from Josh Boyer, who came over from the Patriots as well, who's very highly rated and has now become the new DC. And obviously, Marion Hobby, who came over from Clemson, who's the defensive line coach, who obviously coached all those great uh, Clemson defensive linemen, Cleveland Furl, Christian Wilkins, those guys. Dexter Lawrence, etc. But it was a pretty fair split. Flores had worked uh, or had known um, had known Graham for a while. Obviously, he was with you guys previously, uh, and I've got a couple of friends who are Giants fans and, and rated him very highly. And we sort of had this conversation a year ago when he when he was or nine months ago when it was announced that he was going to be the DC. Um, so yeah, and and schematically, it seemed to work pretty well. And look, I, I don't know how much of the Dolphins you actually managed to see, and why would you last season, but we were a really bad team, um, and like almost historically bad. And the coaching job that was done by those coaches w- was pretty phenomenal. To get five, to eke five wins out was was phenomenal because you know after weeks two, three, four, five, you thought this is a team that's going to go zero and sixteen. Um, and defensively, certainly they were playing with what pretty much amounted to an XFL roster. Um, you know, Xavier Howard, the All Pro cornerback, played very sparingly and was was rested for or had a knee injury and was taken out for 
for most of the second half of the season. Rashad Jones, two-time pro bowler, play, barely played all season. And they were relying on, you know, free agent pickups, street free agents. Uh, back into the season, last two or three games, the starting corners, the starting safeties, apart from Eric Rowe, were all street free agents who had either been picked up a year ago or picked up after the draft this year. And yet they were able to, you know, you saw what he did with the Patriots uh, beating New England at the end of the season. They went five and four over the last nine games. Patriots went four and five. And, you know, Graham's schemes worked, especially on the back end. He got seriously good play out of some very, very, you know, in preseason, you looked at guys like Nick Needham, free agent corner, and you thought, I mean, this guy would struggle to make an XFL roster, let alone the NFL. By season's end, he looked like a really solid third corner in the NFL and potentially a guy, if he continued to train on, who'd start opposite Xavier Howard. So, you know, I thought Graham did a good job. There were a couple of downsides. The Monday night game against Pittsburgh when they dominated most of the first half and then inexplicably he called a sort of cover zero blitz and, I mean, sent nine men and left four receivers completely free and Pittsburgh just scored, you know, scored uh, and momentum changed and uh, and that was it. So instead of being 10-3 up and having dominated the first half, all of a sudden it was it was 10 all at the break and, and it went downhill from there. But generally, schematically, him and Flores worked well together. They meshed well together. And I, I think he was really well respected by the players. There were never any complaints. And I, I think generally he did a really good job. So again, we're talking with Simon Clamsey here. Simon, I want to thank you for joining us once again. Uh, you actually transitioned just pretty perfectly here because one of our next questions was talking about despite this lackluster talent on the defensive side of the ball, which you really contextualized very well for us, how do you think basically Patrick Graham maximized the lackluster talent on defense? Was it in his coaching style? Was it in his scheme? How do you think he maximized this talent to squeeze some production out of these players that you said may have even may even have trouble getting on XFL rosters? It was definitely scheme. I mean, what they it looked like they were going to do from the start was build essentially around Jerome Baker and an undersized linebacker who doesn't ordinarily fit what you would think would be a Flores defense you know he doesn't fit a new england style defense we played with five five defensive backs a lot of the time five six seven defensive backs so you, you will see that quite significantly if he continues to take what he had with flores obviously if he reverts back to what he you know he used at times you know in green bay it may be different but certainly with us you know he moved bobby mccain from the nickel to free safety eric rowe played a huge role as a sort of a i suppose in a way a big nickel he played a little bit of strong safety, a little bit of free safety. He played essentially the role that they wanted Minka Fitzpatrick to fill, which was essentially all over the field. Uh, the sort of the Patrick Chung role, I suppose, playing slot, playing a bit of linebacker, playing you know, nickel, playing uh, single high safety. Uh, it, schematically, he managed to make it work with Baker as the kind of the fulcrum, Raekwon McMillan as the sort of tackling machine. So they only really played two down linebackers and played very much as sort of a, that Wade Phillips that looked like a 3-4, but actually with a stand-up defensive end and just rotated that defensive line all the time. So Vince Beagle, a guy that they picked up in a trade with uh, with New Orleans for Kiko Alonso, a kind of a throwaway piece in, in a trade, ended up playing pretty well and looked like a guy who might be a keeper next year, sort of rotational guy. They drafted a kid called Andrew Van Ginkle from Wisconsin Wisconsin, an archetypal New England white guy, long hair, but again was injured for much of the season, but came on down the back end and schematically because they couldn't get to the court, they couldn't get to the QB at all. You know, they brought in Tackle Charlton from Dallas uh, when he was cut by the Cowboys. Charles Harris, who's the first round pick from three years ago from Missouri, who struggled mightily. They 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 couldn't get it done, so they were just used schematically using these guys. Christian Wilkins would play defensive end sometimes. 
Jerome Baker would blitz an awful lot. I think he blitzed more than any linebacker in the NFL. So that they brought pressure that way. They brought pressure with blitzes, sending Rowe sometimes, sending McCain off the corner, sending Nick Needham. Had a couple of crucial sacks, certainly against the Jets in the game that they won uh, in Miami at the back end of the season. And just just really good schemes on the back end with these with these kids, with these street free agent kids who really rose above the level that you thought they were, were able to play. And like I said, with my first answer, it, it's a shock to Dolphins fans that he's moved on, actually. And, you know, people are left asking, because obviously, and I know we're going to talk about it, but Jerry Shlapinski has obviously moved on to you guys. Chad O'Shea, the offensive coordinator, was fired at the end of the season. Tony Oden, the defensive backs coach. A lot of change here in Miami, but we we felt like Patrick Graham was definitely a keeper. So that's kind of how it looks from our, our point of view. Yeah, and you mentioned Minka Fitzpatrick and... I, when, you know, obviously when he uh, asked for a trade, every team in the NFL, well, fan base was like, okay, we got a trade for this guy. So I went and watched the Ravens game, which obviously was very bad, and he was playing Fox safety. And then I went and watched the Vikings game from last season, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy shut down Diggs and Thielen mm. all game long. Mm. And so that is, from the outside looking in, would be my, my criticism of him. It's like, okay, why was he putting Minka in the box? But was mm. it just like a, a – a game plan for Baltimore because of how heavy run they're expected to be. Like, I, I what happened with him? I, it's fascinating. The, the The word that we heard was that Minka wanted to play a specific role, which was free safety. That's all he wanted to play. The Dolphins very much wanted to use him in a number of different roles. So, for example, against Green Bay, I was at Lambeau last year and and talking to Aaron Rodgers after the game. And uh, at, at points, Minka played essentially a sort of Swiss Army knife role. He played free safety, he played strong safety, he played linebacker. Um, he played boundary corner and then he played nickel. His best position, uh, uh, he played slot, sorry. His best position at Alabama was, a, was as a slot corner. He was phenomenal for the Dolphins as a slot. But what they tried to do was just move him around into different places. Last season, obviously, Bobby McCain, who was the slot corner, moved outside onto the boundary and it wasn't a particularly big success. And once the Dolphins realized it wasn't a particularly big success, that's when Minka got more time out on the boundary. But he was, they wanted to make use of his remarkable skill set the reports that came out of the um, certainly out of the Dolphins camp and out of the, some of the people that I know who you know know the players said that Minka was just very keen to play a single position and the Dolphins really wanted him to be that Patrick Chung role where he would play all over the field. Um, and uh, you know I spoke to Courtney Fallon of NFL Network recently and uh, about the the New England scheme and how that would work with regards to Miami. And she said, you know, Bill Belichick will tell you that Patrick Chung is the most important part of that defense because of the positions that he can play. So we thought that when Flores came in, I mean, he's got the ideal player, Minka Fitzpatrick being that. And unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. And But like you saw against the, the Vikings, he was able to play Diggs and Thielen in, in man coverage and, and do a, a really good job. But then you also saw him in Pittsburgh as a single high free safety, making plays all over the field with pick sixes and fumble recoveries and big hits and you know, so I mean, it's unfortunate, I think, because he really was the sort of defensive piece that you hoped that this new regime would be able to build around. But unfortunately, it just wasn't the case. So we got one more question for uh, uh, Patrick Graham for you. Uh, and this is in terms of maybe why did a Flores coach Flores allow Patrick Graham to kind of make this lateral move to from defensive coordinator to defensive coordinator with the Giants because typically you do have head coaches who may be a little bit hesitant to let guys on their staff to make a lateral move like that. Yeah, I genuinely don't know the answer to that, and I think that's the that that's the key thing that Dolphins fans have been, you know, asking, and I think that's what the media guys have been asking over the last couple of days. Nobody really seems to have an answer as to why that would be 
you know, Flores and Graham are friends. They get on well. There was no natural replacement. I mean, they were, as I said at the top, they were very high on Josh Boyer, who's become the new defensive coordinator. But I, I genuinely don't know. Um, and I think it will probably come out in the wash over the next few days. It took a few days for the Chad O'Shea news to, you know, and the fact that, that Flores apparently thought that Chad O'Shea's offense was was very complicated and very difficult for players to pick up. It certainly didn't look that on the field. Um, and, you know, and we'll get into Szaplinski in a minute because it was deemed that he was going to be the guy that was going to take over, um, which obviously hasn't happened. But I, I genuinely don't have an answer. I, I, you know, I could pontificate, but I, I genuinely don't know as to why he was allowed to to make what is essentially a, a sideways move. Because, you know, we thought to start with, potentially he might be offered, you know, an assistant head coach role, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And so it, it's all a bit up in the air. There's a, There's a few people... You know, media people certainly in Miami who are asking those questions and not getting answers at the moment as to why that was allowed to happen. Yeah, that that was kind of like the biggest thing for the Giants is like, okay, there's some things to be excited about, but like, why why is Flores letting be a lateral move? Mm. But we know they're friends, and I don't know. There's all kinds of theories out there, but let's talk about uh, the QB coach Jerry Shuplinski. Uh, I'm glad that we were saying that right because that was going to be my first question. <laughs> how, how do you pronounce it? Um, so when I, I was doing some research and I saw that Jim Caldwell took a leave of absence, uh, I believe it was last June, and, and Shaplinski yeah. like stepped up in that. Now the thing I couldn't find is how did that move forward when Caldwell came back? Because I even saw them like double teaming interviews. Yeah, I mean Caldwell really didn't have any. I mean he was out for the entire season, and actually the first we really heard of Jim Caldwell. Uh, was a couple of days. The assumption was that Caldwell was going to come back when Chad O'Shea was fired, uh, and then we heard that he was potentially interviewing for the for the Eagles' offensive coordinator's job. And it looks like he's not coming back, which adds to the sort of intrigue as to quite what's going on in in Miami with with all these changes of of coaches. When O'Shea was fired, the immediate thought was that you know he's so well, he's so highly thought of Shapinski, and and certainly was so in New England in the, for his time both as a as an offensive assistant and then as the assistant quarterbacks coach uh, and helping out obviously with the offense with Josh McDaniels um we just assumed that he was going to be the natural successor um but again it it came as a big shock this afternoon to learn that he was on his way to the to the Giants and you know there were rumors about Chan Gailey taking over as the OC here in Miami and which I think are going to be borne out but Whilst that was kind of up in the air, and was Gailey coming? Wasn't he coming? If there, there was a sort of a, a school of thought that 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 had Schlepinski almost being protected from some of the New England guys who were going to interview for jobs. I, I know that Josh McDaniels was very high on taking him to Cleveland if he was going to take the job there, um, and potentially making him quarterback coach there. Um, and he was somebody that was very highly regarded, but that that you know this came out of the blue. It came as a shock because we all felt that he was being essentially trained up. You know, if Chan Gailey came in for one or two years, that Schlepinski would take over as the the OC moving forwards, and that felt like what was going to happen when Chad O'Shea was was let go. So again, this is a shock to us too. So Simon, we want to thank you for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule for joining us. So this will be our final question for you uh, in terms of Schlepinski. Uh, how do you feel that he balanced the relationships and the different quarterbacks? present in the quarterback room during the 2019 season because as we all know uh Fitzpatrick and Josh and Josh Rosen they're at very different points in their career so mm. how did he especially balance that relationship between the veteran quarterback and the younger quarterback uh, first off Ryan Fitzpatrick is uh, you know a lot of what the Dolphins were able to achieve this season uh, and I talked about it earlier with this kind of XFL roster was down to Ryan Fitzpatrick and his ability to galvanize the team 
the guys love playing for him. They absolutely love playing for him. That infectious personality, you know. So I, I, I'm not sure how much of an effect Shlapinski had on that kind of thing because you know Fitzpatrick is what 38 years old, and you know he's a veteran of nine different teams. So he brings with him that sort of effervescence and that uh, and that character. Um, but what he was able to do, certainly from people that I've spoken to, is in that difficult time when the Dolphins got after that horror start, losing 59-7 to, to Baltimore to kick off the season, losing 43 nothing to the Patriots the following week, going to Dallas and losing in Dallas there. Um, in that time in which, you know, we'd been beaten so soundly in those first two games and then they switched to Josh Rosen, he was uh, apparently a very... Uh, good conduit, I think, between sort of O'Shea, Flores uh, and that decision-making process and keeping that room together despite his kind of youth. And then certainly he became very close to Josh Rosen, who sort of enjoyed his bumps with the Dolphins. You know, he, uh, difficult for him coming from Arizona and, uh, and struggling a little bit that first year, but kind of being thrown on the scrap heap. And I, I think he worked quite hard to rebuild Rosen's confidence um, and to say, look, you, you know, you were the 11th overall pick you were you know a terrific quarterback at UCLA you have a very bright future but there are things that you need to do getting the ball out quicker for example more timing throws those sorts of things which he really struggled with you know you watch that Dallas take back you know and struggling where guys have you know where you would see a a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers and the, the receiver turns and the ball is you know a split second away already Guys were turning and Josh Rosen still hadn't released the ball. And, and, and that, you know, that led to interceptions, that led to incompletions, that led to pass breakups and things. But I think Stropinski did a very good job of rebuilding Rosen's confidence. And, uh, and Brian Flores talked sort of glowingly in the back end of the season when it looked like the Dolphins were potentially going to move back to Josh Rosen for the last couple of games to, to, to kind of see what they have. But, but Flores talked about, you know, actually, we're not going to do that because Ryan is the better quarterback. But, you know, Josh has worked really hard. That room is very, very tight. Him and Ryan Fitzpatrick have worked really closely together. And Jerry's kind of been the fulcrum for that, for that, for kind of keeping them going, keeping Rosen going, keeping his confidence high. And look, you, you don't know what's going to happen with Josh Rosen. But I think whatever happens, I think Jerry Slipinski will have played a, a decent role in that. And I, I look at you guys and you see a guy like Daniel Jones and, and having been around you know, Josh McDaniels, having been around Tom Brady, having been around Ryan Fitzpatrick, having been around Josh Rosen and seen some of the downs that he's had in the short period of his career. I, I think he's going to be a really good ally for Daniel Jones, who looks like, a, you know, he looks like you've got a, a quarterback there who potentially could be, you know, something pretty, you know, if he, if he can keep hold of the ball rather than, you know, his fumbling problem is an issue. But I think, you know, certainly in terms of, actually standing in the pocket and, you know, manipulating the pocket and making yards with his feet or making throws down the field. He looks like, you know, you've got a guy there. And I think Slapinski will be a big help in trying to settle him down and, and build him up and build his confidence and, and push him forward to the quarterback that we all hope he can be. All right, Simon, we really appreciate you giving us our time and, and giving us some insight that we wouldn't have had unless we had you on. Um, so for all the listeners, we go make sure to follow Simon at S.I. Clancy. We'll make sure to tag you in all the episodes and stuff. And, and a lot of Giants fans, I will say, Simon, are hoping that we're talking more Dolphins, that you guys are trading up with us in the draft. So uh, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll see. That will be an interesting time as well. So because, <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows what? Who knows how that's going to play out? So that will be fun. But don't don't let somebody trade in front of us and take the guy that we want because <laughs> you know we're we're pinning all our hopes on Tua. So um, don't be that team. All right, sounds good, <laughs> Simon. We appreciate you. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. All right, thanks again, Ben and Simon, for coming on. Make sure to give those guys a follow. When you guys when you guys go and follow them, that looks good on us. It's like, oh, wow, these guys have a real listenership. So make sure to follow them. 
at Spirit Ben and at SI Clancy. We appreciate that. Justin, that's a show. Um, now, I'm fully expecting that as soon as we hit stop record, that the Giants will have an offensive coordinator and this show will be less relevant. Murphy's Law, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong. And for uh, Talking Giants has a has a history of uh, pressing uh, the end record button. And guess what? Breaking news. Uh, and then we have to jump back on the mics the, night, the next night anyway. So you want to know what? I'm mentally prepared for things to go wrong. So, hey, what the hell? Who... Who is Kirk? Kirk. Cousins. Kirk Barry. Kirk Barry. He's the Eagles QB coach. Are we requesting to interview him? Breaking oh news. Oh my god! Requesting. Homeboy's the Giants' offensive coordinator as I speak. What? You thought I got you again, Justin? Uh, Justin, I, I keep on getting you with this. It's too geez. easy. So, so about maybe I don't know. Like before we started all these interviews, Bobby was like, "Oh my God, the the, the Giants hired uh, Jay Gruden as their offense coordinator." I'm like, "Are you are you serious?" And I I honestly, so back back backdoor information about the podcast. I I am now the producer of Talking Giants. So when Bobby said that we just hired an offense coordinator, and the fact that we have so much like different clips of podcast of podcasting tonight. I'm thinking I'm going to be up till two o'clock in the morning editing everything and just talking nonsense. And I got very upset. <laughs> like, like my soul, my part of my soul just broke Bobby Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's an episode. Don't worry. This is all going to be irrelevant in like 10 minutes and we'll, we'll re-record. All right. That's the show. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you sometime later in this week. I'm assuming Thursday because I would assume that the Giants will have an offensive coordinator by then. If not, we'll be back on Friday. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for loving us. We've appreciated all the feedback we've gotten this past week. A lot of positive feedback. You guys don't know how much that means. So we'll see you guys next time. Until then, let's go Big Blue.